Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Dapper Daddy, Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm mischievous, not the mama, Mark Giannacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, but the annuals don't count, and Dan, it feels good to do that intro again, and not... As much as I love available, Alan, not have a debate about whether having hard copies of comics is a waste of time and money anyway. So welcome back to the show. <laughs> well, it's really funny you say that. And thank you, Mark, for welcoming me back to the show. It's funny because this episode is going to go live before it appears that I've even disappeared from the show. Unless you're a Patreon member who's already been getting the episodes where I haven't been appearing. But if you are someone that tuned into our first B Beyond amazing episode and you're like why is it taking them two months to do another one of these it's because yes like mark said my wife gave birth i'm a dad now as i proudly proclaimed here at the top my son ben was born on june 13th he's happy and healthy and the whole family's good but that means i've been the father of a newborn Look, you guys know I am devoted to Spider-Man and podcasting, but even I take a break sometime. Available Alan Churstall has filled in for me. If you're not a Patreon member, you'll hear those episodes very soon. And I got to say, I am so grateful for both of you guys for giving me the time to settle into being a father. Not only that, but making some of the best I think review episodes of the show. I mean, Alan always brings great insight and you guys are developing your own banter. I mean, look, I might not ever come back. Like, do I enjoy listening to the show more than I enjoy being on the show? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's, it's a real like monkey's paw. Yeah. Again, thank you guys. I have a video coming out about Ben and why I named him Ben. That'll be coming up on YouTube soon. So if you're not uh, already one of our YouTube subscribers again, thanks guys. And for those who are already on the Patreon who have supported me leaving and allowed me to pay Alan to come in, we can't thank you guys enough. Yeah, now it's going to be Spider-Man with the double lens of fatherhood. How will it change my reviews? Will I become quite as sullied as Mark? We'll, we'll find out. <laughs> well, all I can say to all that, Dan, besides the obvious congratulations, is I do want to thank you for being so supportive as I've had my, my, my Ben Riley moment on this show. But, you know, it's nice to be back in the, 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 the color commentator position, or, you know, as I like to think of myself as. Otherwise, you know, I think if I kept doing the lead position for too long, I, I might go the route of, of, of chasm or chasm or whatever we're calling uh, Ben <laughs> Riley these days. I, I am, you know, 
know, ha- ha- happy, happy to have the, the the band back together here, and you know, allowing me to go from lead guitar back to bass again. And on that note, if you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show and sprinkled in between, we review new comics as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. So this is the perfect time to start listening. If you are just starting to listen or maybe you've joined us a little while ago and you want to listen to some of the earliest episodes of our show, we have a brand new feed called the Amazing Spider Talk Back Issues, where you can get all the oldest episodes of our show. I've been told that they're actually really great to go back and listen to by a couple people who have already been doing that, that the content was great, even if our recording quality isn't quite what it is today. And I say that with like the most knock on wood attitude that there is. <laughs> That's amazing spider talk back issues. And if you do, you know, go there, listen, we need reviews on that. So other people can find that show. So, you know, go download some back issues and leave us a review on iTunes. That would be an awesome help. Speaking of back issues, we are we are going in the way back machine today because we're going to be continuing our beyond amazing celebration of Spider-Man's very first appearance in Amazing Fantasy number 15, which happened, of course, 60 years ago. With each episode of the series, we are going to be taking a very specific lens and applying it to the history of the character. In this specific episode, we will be discussing all of the minor characters from Amazing Fantasy 15 who have returned over the years. Whatever happened to Peter's classmates, the cop who tried to catch the burglar, and even the spider that bit Peter, and I guess Cindy Moon, but that's for another episode, (laughs) hang out with us today and you will find out. Yeah, so if you want to follow along with us on our journey through the stories we're going to be talking about today, we're going to be revisiting the following stories. So get out your pen and paper or however you want to do this, your Marvel Unlimited account. We're going to be talking about Amazing Spider-Man numbers 200 and 271, Amazing Fantasy numbers 16 to 18. Yes, the series continued after Amazing Fantasy 15 but with one of the longest hiatuses in a series ever, like 30 some years. I mean, did Kevin um, Smith write that uh, issue? Yeah. Or no? <laughs> <laughs> I kid. <laughs> I kid the famous director. <laughs> uh, there we go. Um, we've also got, uh, we're going to be discussing Untold Tales of Spider-Man number 13, Marvel Knights Spider-Man number seven, a newer issue, Marvel Voices number one, Spider-Man's Tangled Web Numbers one through three, which are also known as The Thousand, a very strange comic. Marvel Comic Presents number 120 and a, a familiar favorite of ours from recent episode, Marvel Age number 114. But first, let's talk about your responses to our previous episode. Remember in the time machine of two months ago, we asked you guys to vote on your favorite of the anniversary issues that we discussed. And Mark, the vote came out kind of how I expected, but I wasn't super thrilled with the results because I feel like people voted for their favorite issues, not their favorite anniversary issues, which like fair enough because the the winner was Spectacular Spider-Man number 189, which I think may be inarguably the best of those issues. 
Well, Dan, all I could say to your disappointment is, as I said to you in 2016, when Swarm was elected our B, uh, B comic guest host, uh, we, we, we just can't stop the will of the voters sometimes. You can't, you can't <laughs> stop the will of the voters, yep. Yes, like I said, uh, Spectacular Spider-Man number 189, that is the Green Goblin like dinner table issue, that one got 46% of the vote. So it was really quite clear what people were going for. And I think the reason for that might have been that J.M. DeMatteis started weighing in on this and got a bunch of people to vote for it. So, you know, when you when you get the creator to lean into into the competition, you know, that's going to do a lot for you. Mark, you'll be happy cuz second place was Amazing Spider-Man number 300, which by virtue of the cover saying it's an anniversary issue becomes an anniversary issue. So, that was enough for for many of you guys. Spider-Man editorial should not hear that because they will they will stop doing although I guess if they make a story as good as AFM 300 we'd be okay I mean, are you really going to complain? I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I don't I don't think we will. And hey, look, 900 is coming out this week. Maybe we'll see something similar to that. Who can, we can we can hope. Is that super adaptoid going to be the, the next Venom? I doubt it, but we'll, we will see. And then in third place with 7% of the vote was Amazing Spider-Man number 365, my personal vote. So I guess we see my staying power when weighed up against J.M. DeMatteis. It is not a competition. There you go. There you go. So thanks, everybody who voted. Uh, Mark, do you have any reflections on this vote? Does it say anything about our listeners? Uh, I I mean... If not, not, not to add to your disappointment, Dan, but I think if I was truly being one of our listeners and not had my exposure to like the, our kind of sausage making conversations beforehand, I would have voted in that order myself. I, I, so I am not surprised, I guess is my, is, and, and nor am I disappointed because I don't feel as hard about it because also 365, I know fans of the 90s animated series probably have a a very specific fondness for that issue not that i dislike the 90s animated series but like that wasn't necessarily my my thing at that point i was kind of aging out of the the animated stuff at that point so for me i was just kind of like eh whatever 189 is a great issue 300 (laughs) is my all-time favorite i can live with it i mean you know like you want to talk about anniversary with 300 you got you got them getting the red and blues back i mean like that is there anything more anniversary than uh than the legend begins anew i mean come on <laughs> hey look if it was good enough for no way home it's good enough for for amazing spider-man 300 so there you go or or vice versa mark is saying that's apocryphal 300 did it decades earlier but yeah <laughs> I mean, look I'm, I'm not disappointed all three i think are great issues Maybe I'm just like, my experiment failed. Let's move on to today's topic, which, Mark, this was kind of your idea. So why don't you kind of lay out what we're talking about today for everybody? Absolutely. Well, you know, obviously, as we kind of indicated even in our first episode of this Beyond series is, you know, we we, we really want to focus in terms of the 60th anniversary on on celebrating the earliest origins of Spider-Man and, of course, Amazing Fantasy 15. I mean, like we could, you know, there's a diff- tons of different ways we can do retrospectives. But, you know, you and I had talked at length about like what what are ways that we can kind of play in the sandbox 
of content that was specifically derived from Amazing Fantasy 15. And then one of the things that I really wanted to explore was kind of looking at what I would refer to as the minor characters, not necessarily minor because they didn't have an impact. In fact, you know, one of the, you know, a couple of the characters we're going to talk to, you know, arguably had a huge impact on the Spider-Man legacy. But in terms of how they were used and appeared in comics following Amazing Fantasy 15, I mean, for the most part, most of these characters only appeared in Amazing Fantasy 15 until these other stories that we're about to talk about came up. So like that, that means we're not going to talk about Aunt May or even Uncle Ben posthumously, all the posthumous stories we've had of him. We're not going to talk about Flash Thompson because obviously tons of Flash, tons of Liz Allen. So we don't need to get into those kinds of weeds, but we, we I, I did think it would be fun to kind of almost do like a, not a where are they now, because a lot of these stories that we're about to talk to are from 20, 30, 40 years ago, but kind of like whatever, whatever happened to, which is <laughs> technically the name of one of the stories we'll be doing, to all of these significantly insignificant characters in Spider-Man's universe. Uh, is that, does that sound like a, a reasonable explanation of our thesis statement here, Dan, or, or am I forgetting something? Yeah, I think so. I wanted to add that, like, I think one of the things that we're going to discover, hopefully, and, and, and I kind of feel like I'm maybe jumping ahead a bit because we've put together notes for several of these episodes is that like there's really no corner of um, amazing fantasy 15 that are or, or no no stone that's unturned this thing has been just picked through right like every minor character has some thing where they came back right nobody is just a person that walks in and out of peter parker's life they all have some significance down the line which is like, you know, kind of serendipitous or just maybe like when people run out of ideas, you know, you have the brevity of Amazing Fantasy 15 in the 11 pages that it is where it doesn't really linger with many of these characters. But then years later, a lot of them come back and for, for some for good, some for not, you know, it, I guess it's kind of like, and maybe we can weigh in on this with each character. Like, do we think bringing that character back adds anything to amazing fantasy 15 or does it like take away from it? Because like, I think with an 11 page comic, as rich as this, there is an opportunity to kind of like the more you play with it, the the less it it is. You know, it's like it, it was already a towering achievement on its own. So I think that's probably a pretty good transition into our first person we're talking about here and probably the most important person that we're going to talk about today. Mark, who are we talking about first? Yeah, well, of course, we're going to be talking about the burglar who obviously the, the burglar who, you know, the one that Peter went by to the elevator. You know, that's not my problem, buddy, as fate would have it. The monkey's paw, as you referred to earlier, he, this is the burglar that, of course, killed Uncle Ben and that Peter apprehends at the end of the issue. Well, guess what, folks? The burglar came back. We actually talked about this issue. What was it? Two, two seasons ago? It's 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 all blurring together now um, at this point in our in our Marv Wolfman uh, episode. This is, of course, in Amazing Spider-Man number 200, The Spider and the, and the Burglar, a sequel. You know, we we could make the case. I think this is technically the first of minor character coming back. It's probably a stretch to call the burglar a minor character because even though he had just that one and only appearance, it's kind of like 
what's his name? Joe Cool, Joe Cool, Joe Freeze, whatever, and Batman's parents. Joe I mean, Chill. You know, Joe Chill. I'm sorry. Joe Cool. Joe. <laughs> Joe Camel. Somebody's been uh, reading too much, too much peanuts. Yeah. I know. I'm sorry. So obviously, the burglar is the is the character that set everything into motion for Spider-Man for Peter Parker. So it is kind of hard to call him minor, but by the technical definition of this episode, this was that was his first appearance, and then this was his second appearance. You know, it, it and it, last, this, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, outside of you know flashbacks and 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 bottle episodes and whatnot, and you know, we like I said, we talked about this issue as a comic itself a bit during the Marv Wolfman run. You know, a lot of people have a fondness for this. I kind of find the characterization of the burglar to be silly here and very over the top. And there's a retcon here, which we will also be getting to in a future episode of our Beyond Spider-Man 60 series. What's your take on on the burglar as a minor? I mean, am I am I already like stretching the 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 believable the you know the 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 constraints of what this series should be about in in throwing him out there first, Dan? I mean, I guess technically we don't even really know the guy's name. Like, I know there's some speculation about his name and that we meet his son in, in an issue, which I think we discussed shortly ago. And minor, yeah, I mean, uh, he is a minor, you know, he's a major character in this story. And then in this, like in Marv Wolfman's run, he is kind of like a, a B story until he becomes the A story. So minor in that, I think nobody expected him to come back. Right. You know, you get like a Dr. Octopus. You expect to see that guy every 30 issues or so. Right. Like the burglar would be a weird dude to keep returning him. And I think that's kind of the thing that's odd here is like, I don't think anybody wanted the burglar necessarily necessarily to come back. I mean, there's certainly a good story to be told there. And I don't think this is a bad story, although we discussed this on many episodes of our show all the way back to even. I think our first centennial episode, episode 100, we talked about this for those who have been listening for a long time and we ranked the centennials. It just, to me, the depiction of him, like, like this is a case where I think it really robs from amazing fantasy 15 in that they gave him a reason, like some buried treasure underneath the Parker household in forest Hills. And to me that removes the kind of random, the randomness of, of Peter's origin. I mean, I guess they could have bought any random house, but it, it, it falls in line with that. Like he was fated to be Spider-Man or uncle Ben was fated to die regardless of Spider-Man's actions that like cuts against the like true scariness of the origin, which is just like, you never know. Like if you let yourself uh, off guard for just a second, that could be the death of your uncle. Um, it's the don't step on a crack of uh, uh, of breaking your mother's back of comic books. Again, we will we will talk more at length about the retcon itself here. But like, you know, like something that always kind of struck me, too, is like if if this guy was planning like this huge score at this specific house that Ben and May owned in Forest Hills, then what's he doing like in the television studio earlier in the issue kind of risking capture? You know what I mean? Like it, like, like nothing really makes sense here. It only makes sense when it's just completely random. I mean, it's, it's the same concept of what makes Spider-Man slash Peter Parker so incredibly special is the fact that Peter is not incredibly special when he gets these powers, you know, it's it's that that sense of anyone can be under the mask and 
anybody could have been the the quote unquote villain that brought Spider-Man into existence, you know, like it's 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 just it's just the random monkey's paw of life kind of a thing. So based, I think, in part because it's, it's a centennial issue, but also, I mean, like like you said, Dan, it's not a bad comic. I think it's just it, it could be considered bad in relative to maybe some other centennials or also if you just kind of think way too hard about some of these concepts like the way we do. But like overall, this is this is a good comic. I mean, it's it's fine. It kind of elevates the character. And of course, it ends with the burglar's death. So, it, it you know, in terms of centennial or it's anniversary type issues, if you will, it feels like this is like a really fitting closure for the return of this character like you know it's a it's a true bookend to the burglar story i don't know if anyone was necessarily asking for the burglar to come back but for those who did this kind of puts a a bow on it don't you think yeah absolutely and again this is the kind of story that like was bound to happen when you have a comic that runs as long as amazing spider-man does you know just as bound to happen as it is like Uncle Ben will be brought back from the dead. Uh, I don't want to say it. But like, <laughs> like there are just like some things that like if it's out there, someone is eventually going to do it when you're thousands of issues in. Right. And this is not the worst version of, of that. But if this was just like a Stan Lee and Steve Dicko comic that would have ended in this late 60s, early 70s. We wouldn't have gotten here, right? Like the burglar story was done. When when you're 200 issues deep and you need a big moment, this is the kind of thing you do. All right. Do we want to move on to our next character? Yeah, sure. So our next character is Crusher Hogan, which I think is probably even less of a reason to return than the burglar. <laughs> but I would argue has a way better uh, execution of a return than the burglar like this is actually one of the first spider-man comics i ever read this is amazing spider-man number 271 whatever happened to crusher hogan a really great comic from 1985 yes i wasn't born in in 1985 i was born in 1986 but this was like an anthology that you owned right or yeah yeah Yeah. it was included in like the best of spider-man stories and like it's funny because it was like only a few issues after Amazing Fantasy 15 was printed in that book. So I had no idea of the scale of difference in time between Amazing Fantasy 15 and Amazing Spider-Man 271. But like this story does all the work to really like sell you on like the history that has taken place in between and and the value of all of that. So why, why don't you tell everybody who hasn't read about the story, like Crusher Hogan, right? He's the guy that Spider-Man wrestles in Amazing uh, Amazing Fantasy 15. It's not yeah. Bonesaw. Not Bonesaw, exactly. Right. You beat me to the joke. <laughs> uh, but what's going on with Crusher Hogan when we revisit him? Well, so uh, Crusher is working in a gym as a janitor, and he's kind of like, you know, basically like, constantly stuck in his past of you know being this wrestler who who fought the spider-man like in in his you know spider-man's earliest days and you know he he's basically telling these tall tales to everyone who is you know within ear you know within shouting distance at the gym of like you know i i taught spider-man everything he knows and we're good friends and you know and and for the most part everyone kind of regards crusher as a bit of a loser and a nut and you know kind of just you know like the the you know a a a gentle 
a gentle giant who is harmless and is surrounded by probably much more threatening and 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 bad people like manslaughter marsdale so you want to talk about manslaughter (laughs) my favorite detail about manslaughter is like as he threatens crusher hogan is like there's an image of him just like like bursting the the punching bag between his gloves and it's just like you know as a kid you're like oh it's like a balloon but if you ever like punched one of those things it's not like it's like like a like an easily poppable material. Like this dude is scary. Like he is like Spider-Man villain level scary. And I guess a name like Manslaughter, you know, you're bound to be like a pretty scary dude. Yep. And you know, it's 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 worth noting. I think I've said this before on this show, but I I will say it again for for the newbies here. To your point about manslaughter, you know, he's he is on the cover of the issue kind of standing over a a, a fallen Spider-Man kind of, you know, like from his backside. And there was a part of me that, oh, you know, first few times I saw this comic, you know, just from the cover, you know, with the with the title of the story, whatever happened to Crusher Hogan, you see this big bulking guy standing over Spider-Man and you're thinking, oh, man, Crusher's turned into a villain. So when you read the story, you're like. Oh wait, no, that's not him at all. And and uh, to me, that also just kind of speaks to the gifts of Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends, who were the creators on this. You know that they 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 took this minor character who only appeared in a handful of panels uh, in 1962, and and created this really compelling story that makes you sympathize with him, but also kind of takes you in a very unexpected journey about the character. Which to me, this is this is the best kind of. Uh, kind of mining the history of Amazing Fantasy 15. I mean, obviously, well, the the Spider-Man Crusher story doesn't mean much. There is a, a moment in here where Spider-Man, where Peter doesn't help out Aunt May's boyfriend, Nathan Lubetsky, and that has ramifications. The Crusher story itself doesn't have long-term ramifications, but like, you know, if you're going to like basically kind of create a one-and-done story to, to buy some time or, you know, create a bottle episode, as I like to refer to it as, this is the way you do it, you know? <laughs> like, this is this is just great storytelling from, from DeFalco and friends. What was fascinating to me, like looking back on it, that anthology book that I had, this story was printed right after Kid Who Collects Spider-Man. And like talk about a one two punch of kind of like stories about like Spider-Man opening up his heart to strangers, kind of capturing the kind of peak empathetic version of Spider-Man. I would say like this story, I I would put it alongside Kid Who Collects in terms of like just showing Spider-Man's heart because like here he comes onto this scene and, you know, he knows that Crusher is making up all these stories about them being old friends, but he immediately like goes for the underdog and supports Crusher and says like, yeah, of course, like he taught me everything I know, you know, you know, reading those two stories, like I think was a large part of like how I connected to the character. Um, I also wanted to mention and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here. It's not about Crusher, but um, I seem to remember and, and I could be wrong. Manslaughter Marsdale was originally colored as a white guy and was changed to a black boxer wrestler, if you will. That might have been like why he was uh, put into silhouette on the cover. D- does that sound anywhere at all familiar to you? 
That might, I, I think maybe Ron might have even said that in that very first interview you had with him in the, in our Spider-Man back, Amazing Spider-Talk back issues episodes. <laughs> yeah, full of full of great gems like that. So, you know, it, always interesting to see how things start on the page and, and move on. And, and like, I also think this shows like between this and Kid Who Collects, like Ron Friends' ability to render like really human characters on the page. You know, I always thought it was interesting how like, big crusher is drawn but the way he moves and holds himself is very like light like he's a very kind of sad kind of almost weightless character in his like gestures it's like very dainty if you will like he's a soft guy he's not the kind of like big bravado guy that we saw back in amazing fantasy 15 and i always thought that contrast was really interesting choice by friends and defalco so i think this really adds to Amazing Fantasy 15, if we're to make that measurement here. Uh, how about you? Oh, absolutely. And, and I do want to note, like, so the twist with Spider-Man, you know, basically, you know, earlier in the issue, Aunt May suspects that Nate, her boyfriend Nathan is, like, in trouble and going around with the wrong crowd and kind of asks Peter to keep an eye on him. And Peter is doing that and then kind of gets distracted because he hears like conflict at the gym where Crusher is. So he goes to mine that. And of course, when he takes his eye off Nathan, Nathan gets um, jumped by a bunch of, you know, thugs that he owns gambling bets to. But like it's worth noting to, to your point about adding to the, the mythos of Amazing Fantasy 15. It's it's Spider-Man in dealing with this character from Amazing Fantasy 15 gets basically set up with a, an Amazing Fantasy 15 and Uncle Ben-esque choice about what to do and who to save and or, or you know, to act or not to act. So I think that just, you know, it's, it's just yet another great turn of the screw that kind of ties all of these stories and subplots and characters together in a really compelling way. So who's our next one, Mark? Our next one is Maxi Schiffman, who, of course, is the agent who put Spider-Man on TV in Amazing Fantasy 15. And his big comeback story was we're going to jump into the 90s. Lots of lots of big, weird comebacks in the 90s. Right. Uh, this was Amazing Fantasy numbers 16 through 18, which was from 1995, 96. And it's worth noting that. Years before Dan Slott wrote Learning to Crawl, there was these issues of Amazing Fantasy. This was kind of like proto stories that were... This, it was also proto Untold Tales of Spider-Man by Kurt Busiek, and he wrote this with Paul Lee on, on art. And it's just worth noting that... So this is stories that are supposed to have happened before Amazing Spider-Man number one, but after Amazing Fantasy 15. So Axie is basically portrayed as this hustler he's hard to sympathize with but he's getting shaken down by the mob to pay off some debts there was mobs and those debts in this in the marvel universe right they just these these shifty characters just can't escape the mob so he is like maxi is just trying to find a way to reconnect with spider-man who you know at this point you know is the hulking, sorrowful mass of, of flesh following the end of Amazing Fantasy 15 that, you know, is is just despondent. And Maxi wants to get back in touch with him because like, hey, if I can just get this guy on stage a few more times, even though, you know, he won't say his identity and, you know, he tries to sign his checks with, with uh, Spider-Man that, you know, he can make some money off again and pay off these debts. It's a fine story, but, you know, I, I, I personally don't feel like Busiek kind of 
hit his stride with mining this era of Spider-Man until he got into Untold Tales proper. But I don't know what you think of this storyline and, and Maxi Schiffman. I mean, I think it's really quite fun. I had read these years ago. You know, there's some nice artwork, like it's all hand-painted. In that regard, it is also kind of like a precursor to Ultimate Spider-Man, although Untold Tales is also kind of a precursor to Ultimate Spider-Man, especially the way that Peter is drawn here. Like, you really get the sense of how young he is in this costume in, in, in these issues. Like, he just looks like a kid. And and I also think it's kind of cl- uh, curious that it takes starts like a day at, or two after the the scene at the Acme Warehouse from Amazing Fantasy fifteen, and so like revisiting Dan Slott's learning to crawl, which starts literally as Spider Man is walking down that alley and learning his lesson. You know, it really like boxed Dan Slott in canonically into like those two days. Maxie is a character that I always like to like return to. I believe we've seen him like a few other times, but this is kind of like the only story where he really takes kind of the forefront. And I mean, obviously we would see him when, what was it? Amazing Spider-Man three, where Peter tries to go to him and can't cash the check, you know, because it's on, because his name, I don't know. He's a fun guy as a sort of almost like JJJ, like parallel character, like, you know, fast talking, you know, huckster guy that's kind of running a racket. I thought these were fun stories if they were a little all over the place in terms of like villains and things like that. You know, if you're a fan of untold tales of Spider-Man and you haven't read the Amazing Fantasy issues, I'd encourage you to do so. Yeah, I don't know. Do you have anything else to add about Maxi? Not not particularly. I mean, like, you know, I, I, I think these are fun enough, but, you know, and, you know, it's also notable that these issues give a little more context to Jonah, J. Jonah Jameson's kind of burning hatred for Spider-Man that kind of comes on in full force in Amazing Spider-Man number one, which, of course, came out like, I don't know, about seven, eight months after Amazing Fantasy 15. That kind of context is, I guess, helpful in terms of filling in the blanks. I, you know, again, I don't know what what this story really does in the grand scheme of things to advance this, the, the, the story of Spider-Man. I mean, you know, you can probably make that argument for a lot of these, but like, I don't know. I feel like this is kind of low on the totem pole. I don't know. Am I, am I being too harsh? No, I, I don't think you are because it's, it's some reused ideas. Like, like I said, Max is kind of a proto JJJ. He hires a super, what he thinks is a superhero who turns out to be a super villain that ends up like, killing someone a la the scorpion or spider slayers you know but you're right there is that really interesting moment where john jameson is booked to be on this talk show and is replaced last minute by spider-man by maxi and it's kind of the moment where jjj realizes like you know out of like personal pride for his son like how dare he get a real hero get supplanted by this guy who won't even show his face. And, you know, that's all it takes for Jonah to launch a lifetime of vitriol. <laughs> Grievance. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. All right. Well, why don't, why don't we, we, we hop ahead to another character here, which is Sally Averill. And now, now we're kind of getting into a little more into the weeds of who are these people? Like, can you remind me? And in this case, Sally Averill, and and she is addressed as Sally in Amazing Fantasy fifteen. It's it's very early on in the issue. I don't know if it's like page two or page three, but Peter is 
asking her out and she goes, Peter, for the umpteenth time, you're just not my type. Sally would really not figure much into the Spider-Man mythology until years later when uh, Kurt Busiek started writing Untold Tales of Spider-Man, which as I, you know, would love to just reaffirm one more time. It's one of my favorite kind of underappreciated B, B Spider-Man books, not necessarily for its significance, but just because I find these issues to be fun. Sally appears in a couple of, of issues of Untold Tales, but the one we're going to focus on is Untold Tales number 13, which is also called Without Warning. It was published in 1996. This deals with Sally, who, you know, like some of the other characters that Peter was at high school with is she is she is quite smitten with the idea of these superheroes that are showing up in in the world. It's so much so that she chooses to become one herself. She becomes this vigilante named Bluebird that you know is is there to you know keep the streets clean or whatever she's doing. And she even has this like Bluebird costume. And Peter is like you know basically trying to do everything he can to discourage her from doing you know going down this pathway of life because she's he's concerned that she's going to get hurt you know what, what what do you think about this issue and peter and sally and the drama that develops here well i'll say outright that i'm not the biggest fan of of this plot with sally Averill. um while i am a big fan of untold tales of spider-man and i don't think it's Busiek's fault that i'm not the biggest fan of this like it's just that the idea of like supporting cast members becoming superheroes and dying to me is like one too many tropes that I've seen repeated in these kind of like stories about the Spider-Man supporting cast. And I also think canonically like where this falls in the early Dicko era, like having one of Spider-Man's like friends and, and romantic interests die you know related to him kind of like preempts the Stacy stuff a little too closely I think and so like I think displaced when it was in the 90s and also predating all the madness that we've gotten in the aughts of retconning the the early years of, of Spider-Man I think when it came out like it was a totally like fine story to tell and, and, a, and a good and it's it's well written it just kind of like wrinkles me in that way that's like did we need to go there for this character this early in his superheroing I, I don't I don't know about uh, uh, how do you feel about what I'm saying no I, I I get what you're saying and I don't I don't disagree I mean this is clearly uh, an instance of you know, Busiek was is trying to go for some gravitas here in this storyline and adding some stakes. But the thing is, because of the 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 premise of the series, you know, you 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 can't really mine. There's there's not a lot of latitude in what you can do here. So instead, he decides to kill off this minor character. Who you know, I don't even know if you saw in a in a comic in a panel in the background after amazing fantasy 15. I mean, it's, it's, it's arguable if you did. So like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, creating, creating a character again, just to kill her. And like, you know, like if you go back to like the Dicko Lee years that you had, I mean, yes, flash Thompson was like this big super fan of Spider-Man, but like, you know, you never got this sense that, well, no, I'm, I'm, I, sh I need to stop myself right there because there's like the Dr. Doom. I was about to say, it's not like they're dressing up as superheroes, but you have the Dr. Doom issue. <laughs> it's true. Uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, never mind. Like, it's 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 a little strange. And like, you know, I get Peter's 
reluctance and trying to like you know how he's trying to dissuade sally from from doing what she's doing but like i mean he's really cruel to her and you know at one point like they're they're in a fight you know he he basically allows her to get like punched in the gut really hard and you know kind of levels her you know he's like well that'll teach her and instead it just kind of makes her double down on wanting to be the hero so she's like fine if i can't be a hero i'm gonna i'm gonna take pictures of these scenes the way you do peter for spider-man and of course she gets into this car wreck that and that kills her so yeah it's 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 very heightened and very over the top and and you know when you do think about it in terms of the timeline it does kind of negate the impact of something like Gwen Stacy, because, you know, at that time it was just it just seemed unfathomable that Marvel would kill off not even just the love interest of Spider-Man, but like another teenager. You know what I mean? Like, you know, people who died in the comics were the Uncle Ben's and the Captain Stacy's, you know, the people who had lived their life, so to speak, even if it was tragic. You know, Gwen Stacy was a huge shock. So to kind of, you know, this this kind of nullifies it a little bit because like wouldn't peter be like oh man this is like when my classmate sally died <laughs> i don't know like it's, it's 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 adding context but all the same like it's a like if you look at it in a vacuum and not try and do those kinds of mental gymnastics i think these are it's a well-written issue in the in the stream of a really well-written series so i don't know like your mileage may vary on that front Yeah, I mean, it's just the inherent problem with like prequels or side stories in mythos that have already been mined so heavily is you have to find a way to carve out a space for yourself, but you're inherently limited by where the characters already have to go and and so on and so forth, right? You get all I'm thinking of. All I'm thinking of right now is Leah Organa being like, you fought with my father during the Clone Wars and we went on a great adventure together. Yeah, well, I was going to say, say you get an Obi-Wan series where the only thing you can really do new with the character is have Vader admit that, like, he killed Anakin and... And, you know, and that's kind of about about the only wrinkle you can add into that story there. Or, yes, you can throw Leia in as a child. But anyway, that's to say, yeah, I think this is like, again, I think this is a well-written story. And I can understand the desire to, like, kill her off with something as brutal and real as like a car accident. Right. Because Spider-Man was a teenager and there are a lot of like real world elements that we connect with of the Spider-Man early stories where he like has to put food on the table and stuff. Although I also kind of feel like, ew, ick, like teen death by motor vehicle as real as it is. It's like kind of breaks you out of that fantasy. But again, like breaking you out of the fantasy was the appeal of Spider-Man. So I don't know. Your mileage may vary. So again, I don't, I don't dislike this. I just like, I have some reservations about the way it's handled. Why don't why don't I tell people about the slack while we continue to kind of, you know, wax poetic? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to I'm going to decompress a little bit here, Mark. And maybe I'll uh, calm down about the death of Sally while you talk us into the slack. Well, hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Yeah, I hang out in the Slack all the time, even during my, like, 
early fatherhood. <laughs> I still can't break my slack habit. In fact, I think it's going to get me in trouble with the wife. So uh, uh, go to the slack and try not to talk to me because you'll probably be doing me a favor. But in the slack, Mark, we've been talking about the new Hellfire Gala issue and how it leads into Amazing Spider-Man issue number nine. Mark, I know I texted you about this. Were you able to get your hands on the Hellfire Gala issue? Uh, not yet. So I'm, I'm going to have to find some other methods, uh, you know, probably of the, um, you know, digital variety to do that. So, well, I'm eager to talk to you about it when it's over. It's actually like a weirdly important part of the Zeb Wells story that we're getting here, which it's San Diego Comic-Con week right now as we're recording this. And there's been all these announcements of crazy things that we've been talking about in the Slack. I don't even know what to make of dark web. X-Men in my Spider-Man comic. I don't know how I feel about that, but you know, I guess we haven't seen it in what since like Inferno. Like when was the last time we got X-Men stuff interfering with the Spider-Man comic? So um, <laughs> come chat with us about it in the Slack. If you want to join our awesome Spider-Man community, you can just follow the link in the description of this episode. It'll set you up in there, create a username, and the Slack is just a lot of fun. We're very supportive of each other in there. Think of it like Twitter, but without the toxicity of Spider-Man fandom. The next one here, Mark, is one that like I was, you know, we I've been aware of since what the second episode of of this show superior spider talk number two but i think before that like i had no idea the significance of this character and that is seymour o'reilly you might be asking yourself who the heck is seymour o'reilly like if you knew sally avril and you don't know seymour o'reilly do not kick yourself in, in the butt. Like you are totally, unless you've listened to Superior Spider Talk number two and you don't remember who Seymour O'Reilly is, then maybe question it. What is his one line in Amazing Fantasy 15? I mean, I absolutely want to shame some people here, Dan, but no, 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 I'm just joking, <laughs> but no. So Seymour, he, he is unnamed in Amazing Fantasy 15. So, you know, I guess it's questionable. Was he not named until later? Was it in the Dick Lee issues or even later than that? But whatever. He shows up early on again when Peter is kind of, you know, pre spider bite. And he uh, he's one of Flash Thompson's cronies. And he goes, he says to Peter, you stick to science, son. We'll take the chicks. What happened to Seymour O'Reilly? Whatever happened to Seymour O'Reilly, Dan? <laughs> it's almost like, you know, why bring this character back? I mean, unless you wanted to just kill him, right? I mean... <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, like, uh, you're leading there a little bit, which is they bring him back to kill him. But that might have been an improvement for Seymour O'Reilly because prior to that, like, his only thing he was known for was hanging out with a dude that had the first letter of his last name big and on his shirt. You know, like... Flash Thompson was a total jackass. Like, who walks around with a big T on their shirt? You know, not a lot of self-confidence. Although enough to say, like, like you got the science, we got the women. You know, like, class act that he was. So, like, yes, Seymour is brought back to die, specifically in Mark Millar's Marvel Knights Spider-Man number seven. And, hey, look, nothing says Mark Millar like going back and destroying a, a something classic, you know, like like a character from the 60s. And for those of you who did who don't remember the interview we we had with Tyler Barless from spiderfan.org, you know, the rumor was that 
Millar wanted to kill off a major character and it was supposed to be Eddie Brock in that storyline because this storyline is about Eddie auctioning off the symbiote. This is how Mac uh, Gagan and the, you know the scorpion gets the the symbiote. Basically, Marvel was like, no, no, you can't kill off Eddie Brock. But his compensation, you can kill someone from Amazing Fantasy fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's like, all right, who could I kill from Amazing Fantasy fifteen? And Seymour, 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 you we we hardly knew you. He shows up at uh, a high school reunion with Peter. He actually finds out that Peter is Spider-Man and then he he gets uh, kind of cut up and and gorily killed off, you know, like a Seymour O'Reilly should. Yeah. And the importance of Spider-Fan for those who are aware of that site is that like, you know, the, the word from them is that Mark Millar reached out to them and asked who's available. Like, who do we have? Like, who can I kill? And they like together decided Seymour was the target. So like he had some, a bunch of people gunning for him for whatever reason, I guess maybe because he said, you stick to science on, we'll take the chicks. And this was the opportunity for the nerd community to strike back, strike back. They did in the form of, of Mac Gargan venom, you know, another interesting one. We're not going to do a whole thing on him because it's in the same issue is there's another cameo here by Mr. Warren. And no, that's not, Professor Warren. No. Right? That's, like, that's it's not Empire Miles State University. Yeah. 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 The only two teachers we know of Peter's are Mr. Warren and Professor Warren. So, yes, Peter had a teacher in high school named Mr. Warren who appears in Amazing Fantasy 15 who uh, taught Peter about like test tubes and stuff. And he makes a, a brief cameo. In, in this very issue uh, and does not die as far as we know. So maybe he is secretly cloning Liz Allen out there somewhere. I don't, I don't know. Like, we'll see. Maybe there's something about that Warren thing. Don't take that idea, Spider-Man writers. That's a terrible idea. Do not make the Warrens into twins or something like that that have a fascination with Spider-Man's love life. Oh my God, I, I'm burying myself here by making it more interesting and the more I talk. All right, let's move on to the next character. And 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 Dan, I, you got to take this one because you, you brought this up to me in our conversation and planning this episode. And I was like, I don't remember this comic at all. So have at it here. Okay, this one's a little bit confusing and, and understandably so. The next person we're going to be talking to is not a person. It is the spider, you know, the one that bites Peter Parker. Um, Now, obviously, we're going to talk about this in a future episode. The spider would go on to bite Cindy Moon and create the character now known as Silk. But I want to talk about the spider itself. Like, you thought that thing was dead and you'd never see it again. But that is not true. So, actually, quite recently... In uh, the the issue called Marvel Voices Number One, which was kind of like a book put out with, to kind of showcase diversity of talent at Marvel, because heaven forbid you can't give them a sto- uh, a series like Amazing Spider-Man right on, you have to give them a single issue of Marvel Voices. Uh, we won't get down that road, but the Spider gets a story dedicated to it, wherein we learn that the gamma radiation that it absorbed in the moment before biting Peter, which I don't know that I'd ever seen that radiation referred to 
as gamma radiation before, but it transforms it into a sort of Hulk spider where it gains the abilities and intelligence of a human. And by abilities, I mean, it can talk like it, it is a big spider that walks around and talks and it is now a gamma mutate. And so the spider grows in size. We find out that it's a, female spider that has learned to speak and is now calling itself goddess uh the scientist named it goddess so it takes the name goddess during a a fight with silk and spider-man versus the green goblin the lab that the spider has been kept in all this time is destroyed letting it escape and so goddess decides that in the vein of the heroes it created spider-man and silk it is going to set out into the night to fight crime on itself. So goddess, the newest member of the Spider-Man mythos, the name of the spider that bit Spider-Man. Mark, how did you miss this one? I mean, I, I, I know, right? I mean, it, well, that's it. I mean, this really sounds like some fine storytelling here. So I, I, I am kind of, you know, filled with, with regret and sadness that I don't have much intelligent discourse to offer here. But I mean, seriously... The actual bleep is the story, Dan. <laughs> what have you brought onto this show? What is a pox on our house and you even bringing this up. Okay. Well, because I read every issue of Marvel Comics these days, these are the things I get to enjoy. But I also wanted to point out that that is not the only story involving the spider. So back in Spider-Man's Tangled Web numbers one through three, which is a series that explored kind of like what we're doing right now, which is like characters tangential to the Spider-Man mythos and like what happened with them. Uh, The first three issues are dedicated to this spider and a bully that, you know, is invented for the story named Carl King, who is like a bully in Peter's class. And it's kind of explained away and I couldn't really quite find where this was explained or if someone just put this on the Marvelpedia this way. Um, But apparently when the spider was zapped by what we now know to be the isotope genome accelerator, it was zapped into two different spiders. So one of them would go on to become goddess and the other one would end up being eaten by this bully named Carl King. So the deal is Carl like followed Peter to this science exhibit from amazing fantasy 15. And he saw him get uh, bit by the spider and then Spider-Man started popping up everywhere and he and he was like wait a minute I bet that that's Peter Parker and I'm going to keep bullying him so I'm going to sneak back into the lab and if I eat that spider maybe I'll get its powers well <laughs> in classic monkey paw fashion and as these stories go he does eat that spider and uh, things start going very badly for Carl King. His body begins to break down into spiders and into a, a approximately a thousand spiders. Hence the title of this comic and the character he becomes, which is called The Thousand. So this is like Spider's Man before Spider's Man. He is a character made of a thousand spiders. I feel like you're having way too much fun getting into the nitty gritty here, Dan. Like, like you're you're going into far more detail than I did on Sally Averill or Maxie Schiffman. I just want to point that out right now. I mean, don't you want to know about these things, Mark? 
I, I mean, you know, I don't know if I have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, anyway, uh, uh, he sets up to fight Spider-Man, and he remains kind of, like, psychologically linked to the original spider that he, I guess, ate. And so, yeah, they fight, and he gets... You think he survives, but then he just gets killed at the end of the issue with just a splat. So... There you go. Tangled web of uh, Spider-Man's tangled web numbers one through three. And if I'm not mistaken, I think this is written by Garth Ennis. I, I, I'm not. Don't quote me on that. But I think it might be written by Garth Ennis. Well, he's yeah. going to be at Terrificon in Connecticut this weekend when I go, Dan. You think I should, you know, get on probably the huge psychotic line on him just to ask him about this issue. I bet you he would love to talk about this and not like Preacher or The Boys or Punisher or like anything else that he does, right? I mean, honestly, <laughs> he might love the surprise of that. Again, don't <laughs> quote me on it. I think he wrote it. It's some big name. I, for some reason, Garth Ennis is jumping out at me. I'm sure I could look it up. But hey, we're doing this live and I should have done my research. But I did know about The Thousand. So say what, that's, what you will about me. I knew that that existed. Uh, <laughs> so there you go. Okay, Mark, who's next in our like? Get me off of this quick. Like, yes. Uh, well, uh, well, well. We're 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 gonna jump back to our old friend, Amazing Spider-Man number two hundred again, and talk about the guard. That's right, the guy who was like, "Stop him! Please don't let him escape." We we basically, in addition to some other silliness in Amazing Spider-Man number two hundred, we have to relive this moment because you know. Peter must face the consequences of his of his choices at all times, except this time Peter stops the purse snatcher before he can get away and likely saving some poor guy's Uncle Ben. So that that's I don't know if there's anything else to say here, except I mean, we're really like, you know, really playing the hits here <laughs> in this one. Um, not sure what kind of what, what what this adds to anything outside of, oh, Peter learned his lesson finally. I just think it's hilarious that like the two times we've seen this dumb guard, he's just letting someone escape. I mean, who keeps hiring this guy? It, it, this moment to me is so silly because it, it echoes that like amazing Spider-Man 50 thing where Spider-Man like saves that guy from those crooks and it looks like Uncle Ben and that like spurs him back into action. But here it's not like, oh, hey, this guy looks like that guard. No, it's the actual guard. Like, <laughs> you know, like it's the same dude. Whereas like you could have done an amazing Spider-Man 50 and had it been more poetic. It's just kind of absurd in this comic. All right, Dan, we got one more left. And this is another one that your eagle eyes picked up on. I, I, I had totally forgotten about this one. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, you know, I, this one took me a while to track down because I could have sworn there was a story about this and I didn't quite know where it was. And eventually I found it. So this is The Kid. And you might say, like, who is The Kid in Amazing Fantasy 15? And I mean The Kid who says, Mommy, look at the man walking up the side of a building, right? You've got this kid with his mother, and she's like, that's it, no more comics or movies for you. You know, like, uh, he sees Peter for the first time wall crawling, and then would be forever scarred for the rest of his life. Except, we do check in with him again in the comic Marvel Comics Presents number 120, which is kind of like a grab bag uh, series of, like, odd stories from the Marvel universe. And here we revisit this kid. He's thinking back on this memory of Spider-Man when 
he gets mugged and Spider-Man saves him from getting mugged. And he kind of like begins to put these things back together and says like, wait a minute, like that guy I saw climbing the building, that was Spider-Man. So I know what Spider-Man looks like. So he goes to J. Jonah Jameson and says like, look, like I, I, I can tell you who he is. Let's do his full sketch drawing and, and you know, with the, uh, a crime artist or whatever. And we can figure out what Spider-Man looks like. And the joke of the issue is that like the drawing comes out and it just looks like an old Dicko version of Peter with glasses. <laughs> and, and, and then it cuts to, you know, Peter now, like how he was drawn in like the 90s with his kind of hunky, you know, like, like Todd McFarlane-ness. And he looks nothing like the Dicko version of Peter. It's just kind of a funny story. And then in Marvel Age 114, there's a very similar story where uh, that great comic or a comedy artist, Fred Hembeck, does like the same thing, except that it's making fun of like the Superman trope, which is when he's drawn, he's drawn with glasses on and nobody can make the, you know, square that Peter doesn't wear glasses anymore. So he's totally fine. And no one will ever notice that they're the same person. So that's the kid. He would go on to try to make money off of seeing Spider-Man climb up that wall. So. But unsuccessfully, because bad people don't succeed in the Marvel Comics universe. Let's just remember that always, you know, <laughs> or or I don't know if he's a bad person, but, uh, uh, you know, so an opportunistic person. It just doesn't work. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Mark, that's kind of all the characters we wanted to talk about today who are like the minor characters have shown up. I mean, do you think any of these characters went from minor to major through st these stories? Like, did anybody have their profile so elevated that like you would consider them like a part of the cast? I don't know if I would go that far, but I, I definitely would argue that like the, you know, whatever happened to Crusher Hogan, I mean, you know, not just because it was reprinted in a, you know, a collection of comics that was considered greatest hits. I mean, like I, I do feel like that is a, a a story that elevates the character because it's just a really great story that came in the midst of a really great run on the main title of the book. You know, like the, there are other stories here that we discussed that I think are regarded as good stories in a vacuum, but you know, they don't really have a legacy to it. So I would definitely say that Crusher Hogan probably comes out the best. Of course, you know, his one chance for movie stardom, he got recast as, as Bonesaw. So maybe not, I, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, maybe, maybe history has forgotten Crusher, but I haven't. And I don't think you have. So there you go. Yeah, but I will say in the MCU, Crusher Hogan exists. If you look on the uh, like uh, in in Far From Home at the beginning, when they're in Feast, there is a poster on the wall that like advertises a fight between Bonesaw and Crusher Hogan. So you know, cross your fingers, maybe we could get a whatever happened to Crusher Hogan in the MCU. Well, Mark, that's the end of the discussion, but it's not the end of the show. But before we get there and we tease what we're going to be doing next on the show, when I'm able to come back from, from fatherhood, I did want to say like part of us continuing the show really has been the support that people have shown us on Patreon. You know, it takes a lot to keep the show running, especially in my absence. And I'm able to kind of like buy equipment and pay Alan and, and things like that. So if you do find this show entertaining and valuable, please consider supporting us. You can do so just by recommending Amazing Spider Talk to whoever you think might enjoy this show. You can also become a member on our Patreon. 
Yeah, we can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members, and we owe the show's success to every single one of them. We are constantly making exclusive content for our members. Just this week, Patreon members will hear Alan and me review because Dan is still out on paternity leave. And that review, of course, is Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 6, which is issue 900 as we continue our coverage of the Zeb Wells run on the title. Yeah, and I can't wait to hear it, Mark. And because I'm kind of a Patreon just by the very nature of being a part of this, I get to hear it early with uh, all of our supporters. I can't wait. That's going to be a really fun issue, I think. And hearing your guys' take on it has already been so great. Why not take the $3.99, the price of a new comic, although not the price of a, of issue 900? You could take 30% of the money you're spending on 900 and become a, a member of our Patreon. Yeah, it will get you a month's subscription to support the show and start receiving our Patreon content. And like I said, that way you can hear all of our review episodes the week that the comics come out. If you're someone who just listens to the normal feed and you're like, man, why are they always behind? I'm like three issues ahead. Well, just join the Patreon, silly. You'll hear all the comics right in time then. Of course, and then if you contribute $10 a month, you gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members. We just got news that Barry Kitson is finally finishing up our artwork all the way back from season three of our show, which features the death of Gwen Stacy. We also got Juan Ferreira doing a Spider-Man and Daredevil team up piece for us and Michael Fife doing a Spider-Man and Venom commission. Plus every episode we release a new episode specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti for our patrons. Yeah, that Juan Ferreira piece is coming in in a couple weeks. And the minute it does, I'm going to get all of those prints out to our Patreon members. So if you're someone that wants to jump on board, no better time than now to jump on that $10 tier. But we do know it's a hard time for everybody as it is for us too. So we appreciate anyone who supports the show just by listening and sharing. But if you do have the means, please join our Patreon to support the continued existence of our show. You can follow the link in the description of this podcast and it will take you right there so you can consider all your options. But then again, also a special thank you to all of the members who are already a part of our Patreon who make the show possible. Mark, why don't you take us home now that the show is reaching its inevitable conclusion? That's right, Dan. It's that time. Time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, this episode was edited by Rick Coast. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Buscema, Ray Sumzer, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack and Spider Madge. Plus, our introduction to animation and musical stinger comes from our good friend Josh Sutton on his YouTube channel show Panels to Pixels. So thank you to Josh again. This was a lot of fun, Dan, but what do we have coming up on our next episode? Yeah, well, Mark, you know, I think you and I are going to try to knock this one out again fairly soon before my kind of school year starts up and I have to go back to work. And we have a bunch of really great Beyond Amazing content coming to you guys. There's one that we're really excited to do probably in, in, a, in about a month's time. We're going to be continuing the series with the discussion of all the retcons of Amazing Fantasy 15 that we've gotten over the years. And that means the very few good ones, the bad 
and the many ugly ones. <laughs> and some just like the, the utterly pointless ones. <laughs> yeah, a- absolutely. There's a lot of pointless ones. We hope you uh, subscribe to our feed and, and join us for that episode. It's going to be coming in short time. It won't be two months between these moving forward. So that's going to be really exciting. But until next time, Mark, we have to leave everyone with our motto, the very thing that forms the background of our show. So Mark... Until I break into your basement looking for lost treasure, what's our motto? And, and by treasure, I mean beer. It's it's beer in a freezer full of meat down here, Dan. But, you know, if you're going <laughs> to break in, I would just say with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.